Chapter 15 of The Last Trail. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mike Vendetti. MikeVendetti.com. The Last Trail by Zane Gray. Chapter 15. In forty-eight hours, Jonathan Zane was up and about the cabin as though he had never been wounded. The third day, he walked to the spring. In a week, he was waiting for Wetzel, ready to go on the trail. On the eighth day of his enforced idleness, as he sat with Betty and the colonel in the yard, Wetzel appeared on the ridge east of the fort. Soon he rounded the stockade fence and came straight toward them. To Colonel Zane and Betty, Wetzel's expression was terrible. The stern kindliness, the calm, tough, cold gravity of his countenance, as they usually saw it, had disappeared yet it showed no trace of his unnatural passion to pursue and slay. No doubt that terrible instinct, or lust, was at white heat, but it wore a mask of impenetrable stone-gray gloom. Wetzel spoke briefly after telling Jonathan to meet him at sunset on the following day at a point five miles up the river. He reported to the colonel that Leggett with his band had left the retreat, moving southward, apparently on a marauding expedition. Then he shook hands with Colonel Zane and turned to Betty. "'Good-bye, Betty,' he said in his deep, sonorous voice. "'Good-bye, Lou,' answered Betty slowly, as if surprised. "'God save you,' she added. He shouldered his rifle and hurried down the lane, halting before entering the thicket it bounded the clearing, to look back at the settlement. In another moment his dark figure had disappeared among the bushes. Betts, I've seen Wetzel go like that hundreds of times, though he never shook hands before. But I feel sort of queer about it now. Wasn't he strange? Betty did not answer until Jonathan, who had started to go within, was out of hearing. Lou looked and acted the same the morning he struck Miller's trail. Betty replied in a low voice, I believe, despite his indifference to danger, he realizes that the chances are greatly against him, as they were when he began the trailing of Miller, certain it would lead him into Gertie's camp. Then I know Lou has an affection for all of us, though it is never shown in ordinary ways. I pray he and Jack will come home safe. This is a bad trail they're taking up, the worst, perhaps, in border warfare, said Colonel Zane gloomily. Did you notice how Jack's face darkened when his comrade came? Much of this borderman's life of his is due to Wetzel's influence. Eb, I'll tell you one thing, returned Betty, with a flash of her old spirit. This is Jack's last trail. Why do you think so? If he doesn't return, he'll be gone the way of all bordermen. But if he comes back once more, he'll never get away from Helen. Ugh! exclaimed Zane, venting his pleasure in characteristic Indian way. That night after Jack came home wounded, continued Betty, I saw him, as he lay on the couch, gaze at Helen. Such a look! Ebb, she has one. I hope so, but I fear, I fear, replied her brother gloomily. If only he returns. That's the thing, Betts. Be sure he sees Helen before he goes away. I shall try. Here he comes now, said Betty. "'Hello, Jack!' cried the colonel, as his brother came out in somewhat of a hurry. "'What have you got, by George?' 
It's that blamed arrow the Shawnee shot into you. Where are you going with it? What the deuce? Say, bets, eh? Betty had given him a sharp little kick. The borderman looked embarrassed. He hesitated and flushed. Evidently, he would have liked to avoid his brother's question. But the inquiry came direct. The simulation with him was impossible. Helen wanted this, and I reckon that's where I'm going with it, he said finally, and walked away. Eb, you're stupid, exclaimed Betty. Hang at. Who'd have thought he was going to give her that blamed bloody arrow? As Helen ushered Jonathan for the first time into her cozy little sitting-room, her heart began to thump so hard she could hear it. She had not seen him since the night he whispered the words which gave such happiness. She had stayed at home, thankful beyond expression to learn every day of his rapid improvement, living in the sweetness of her joy and waiting for him, and now as he had come so dark, so grave, so unlike a lover to woo, that she felt a chill steal over her. I'm so glad you've brought the arrow, she faltered, for, of course, coming so far means that you're well once more. You ask me for it, and I've fetched it over. Tomorrow I'm off on a trail. I may never return from, he answered simply, and his voice seemed cold. An immeasurable distance stretched once more between them. Helen's happiness slowly died. Thank you she said with a voice that was tremulous despite all her efforts. It's not much of a keepsake. I did not ask for it as a keepsake, but because, because I wanted it, I need nothing tangible to keep alive my memory. A few words whispered to me not many days ago will suffice for remembrance, or, or did I dream them? Bitter disappointment almost choked Helen. This was not the gentle, soft-voiced man who had said he loved her. It was the indifferent borderman. Again, he was the embodiment of his strange, quiet woods. Once more he seemed the comrade of the cold, inscrutable Wetzel. "'No, lass, I reckon you didn't dream,' he replied. Helen swayed from sick bitterness and a suffocating sense of pain back to her old, sweet, joyous, tumultuous heart-throbbing. "'Tell me, if I didn't dream,' she said softly, her face flashing warm again. She came close to him and looked up with all her heart in her great dark eyes, and love trembling on her red lips. Calmness deserted the borderman after one glance at her. He paced the floor, twisted, and clasped his hands while his eyes gleamed. "'Lass, I'm only human,' he cried hoarsely, facing her again. But only for a moment did he stand before her. But it was long enough for him to see her shrink a little, the gladness in her eyes giving way to uncertainty and a fugitive hope. Suddenly he began to pace the room again, and to talk incoherently. With the flow of words he gradually grew calmer and, with something of his natural dignity, spoke more rationally. I said I loved you, and it's true. But I didn't mean to speak. I oughtn't to have done it. Something made it so easy, so natural-like, I'd have died before letting you know, if any idea had come to me of what I was saying. I've fought this feeling for months. I allowed myself to think of you at first, and there's the wrong. I went on a trail with your big eyes pictured in my mind, 
and before I'd dreamed of it, you'd crept into my heart. Life has never been the same since. That kiss, Betty said, was how you cared for me, and that made me worse. Only I never really believed. Today I came over here to say goodbye, expecting to hold myself well in hand, but the first glance of your eyes unmans me. Nothing can come of it, lass. Nothing but trouble. Even if you cared, and I don't dare believe you do, nothing can come of it. I've my own life to live, and there's no sweetheart in it. Maybe, as Lou says, there's one in heaven. Oh, girl, this has been hard on me. I see you always on my lonely tramps. I see your glorious eyes in the sunny fields and in the woods, at gray twilight and when the stars shine brightest. They haunt me. Why, you're the sweetest lass who's ever tormented a man. I love you. I love you. He turned to the window only to hear a soft, broken cry and a flurry of skirts. A rush of wind seemed to envelop him. Then two soft, rounded arms encircled his neck, and a golden head lay on his breast. My borderman, my hero, my love. Jonathan clasped the beautiful, quivering girl to his heart. Lass, for God's sake, don't say you love me, he implored, thrilling with the contact of her warm arms. Oh, she breathed and raised her head. Her radiant eyes, darkly wonderful with unutterable love, burned into his. He had almost pressed his lips to the sweet red one so near his when he drew back with a start and his frame straightened. Am I a man or only a coward, he muttered. Lass, let me think. Don't believe I'm harsh nor cold nor nothing, except that I want to do what's right. He leaned out of the window while Helen stood near him with a hand on his quivering shoulder. When at last he turned, his face was colorless, white as marble, and sad and set and stern. Lass, it mustn't be. I'll not ruin your life. But you will if you give me up. No, no, lass. I cannot live without you. You must. My life is not mine to give. But you love me. I'm a borderman. I will not live without you. Hush, lass. Hush. I love you. Jonathan breathed hard. Once more the tremor, which seemed pitiful in such a strong man, came upon him. His face was gray. I love you, she repeated, her rich voice indescribably deep and full. She opened wide her arms and stood before him with heaving bosom, with great eyes dark with woman's sadness, passionate with woman's promise, perfect in her beauty, glorious in her abandonment. The borderman bowed and bent like a broken reed. Listen, she whispered, coming closer to him. Go if you must, leave me, but let this be your last trail. Come back to me, Jack. Come back to me. You've had enough of this terrible life. You have won a name that will never be forgotten. You have done your duty to the border. The Indians and outlaws will be gone soon. Take the farm your brother wants you to have and live for me. We will be happy. I shall learn to keep your home. Oh, my dear, I will recompense you for the loss of all this wild hunting and fighting. Let me persuade you as much for your sake as for mine. For you are my heart and soul and life. Go out upon your last trail, Jack. Come back to me. 
and let Wetzel go always alone? He is different. He lives only for revenge. What are these poor savages to you? You have a nobler life-opening. Alas, I can't give him up. You need not, but give up this useless seeking of adventure that you know is half a borderman's life. Give it up, Jack. If not for your own, then for my sake. No, no, never. I can't. I won't be a coward. After all these years, I won't desert him. No, no. Do not say more, she pleaded. Stealing closer to him until she was against his breast, she slipped her arms around his neck. For love and more than life she was fighting now. Goodbye, my love. She kissed him, a long, lingering pressure of her soft, full lips on his. Dearest, do not shame me further. Dearest Jack, come back to me, for I love you. She released him and ran sobbing from the room. Unsteady as a blind man, he groped for the door, found it, and went out. End of chapter 15